Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Welcome to episode 15 of Students of the Word. So after what was in real time a very long gap uh, between sessions, about three or four weeks, um, we returned here to uh, finish up uh, verse 4 and look at verse 5. And we spent a lot of time in particular looking at what it means for the love of God to be perfected. Uh, This is one of my favorite verses, actually, uh, in the whole epistle. Um, This has really meant a lot to me over the last few years as I've been thinking about what this means. And I tell the story here in the episode of some of the things that this verse really kind of helped crystallize for me. It was a a really important verse. But anyway, this is a really, really fun discussion, and I hope you'll enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Students of the Word. This is session number 15, and today we're going to pick up where we left off, talking about 1 John 2.4 and move into 1 John 2.5, which is one of my very favorite uh, verses in the entire epistle. Uh, There's a slightly idiosyncratic reason why it's one of my favorite verses in the epistle. It kind of led, um, I kind of was meditating on that verse at this particular time that I was reading and listening to a bunch of other things. And it just kind of became the moment when a whole huge thing kind of crystallized in my head. Um, in just a, a beautiful way. So I'll kind of share about that. It was, uh, in sh- and, and I can't even remember, did I already share this? Maybe I did. I don't think I did. Um, but it was like the time that I, when I suddenly felt like I understood the law and Christian liberty, uh, which I'd never really understood before. At least sometimes I thought I'd understood it, but I, I, I now I'm pretty sure I it was misunderstanding it. Um, anyway, and that, that verse was really, uh, kind of pivotal, um, uh, to that for me. So anyway, um, let us, uh, uh, to, to the title of today's, uh, episode is the perfect love of God. Um, and, uh, we're going to be talking about love. It is taken. I think that John has shown a great deal of restraint in not talking about agape and not talking about love until this point. Uh, but, um, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're getting there today. Of course, we've been dancing around it already uh, here for some time, but uh, um, but he brings up the word explicitly. Now, okay, but let us, I'm not going to do, and I know I did this last time, and I'm going to restrain myself from doing another big overview, um, but I do want to recall, let's go back and, and start reading the third paragraph here from the start. Well, of course, we're going to be referring back uh, to some other things at other times, but let's start uh, here chapter 2, verse 3, the beginning of the third paragraph. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, I'm going to I think I'm going to stop because I believe that I both the uh, New American Standard and the interlinear that we've been working with um, basically 
quietly. I, I, I love the the you know the places where they they're they're sort of basically saying the chapter and verse divisions kind of whiffed on this one, right? But it's it's very it's very gentle, right? They don't uh, they don't make a big deal of it. But this is one of those that um, that last phrase in verse five. By this we know that we are in Him. Uh, seems like that's the introduction to the verse six thought rather than the conclusion of the verse five thought. Um, so I'm going to kind of lump that. I'm going to save that a little bit uh, until we get into verse. I'm going to basically sort of treat that as the whole verse six thing. Um, so I want to, I want to focus on the, the, and, and of course, as we see verse four and five, most of verse five. So for the rest of the day today, when I refer to verse five, I'm referring uh, to the part of verse, you know, five a. I guess technically we would say uh, that is all the way down to has truly been perfected. Um, so I'm not going to be including by this. We know that we were in him, but I'm going to stop making that clarification from here on. Just want to make sure that's plain. Okay. So verse four and five are uh, are one sentence right? The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Now, one of the things that we can notice is overall shape here of this sentence, that is. We don't have two if clauses. So going back a second to paragraph two, right? Notice that, you know, we had the same kind of two-part structure very frequently, right? Verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, right? That sort of two-fold structure where we say, if this happens, then that's not great. But if this happens, it's awesome, right? I mean, that, that shape is familiar to us. We see it again in eight and nine, right? If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so we, on the one hand, in verses four and five, we seem to be having that same kind of structure again, right? But notice the difference in the structure. The difference is we don't get the if, which is, I, I don't know how enormously significant it is, but that if it's a note he's been hitting a lot, right? Um, uh, we had that if uh, in verse three, right? If we keep his commandments. Um, so yeah, he doesn't do the if structure really on either side of this, right? The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, right? So it's not, um, he do, it's not like that's the same kind of conditional if then statement, right? This is a sort of a statement of fact from the beginning. The one who says this is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever follows his word, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Um, so we've got the one who says this and whoever follows his word. In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Um, notice also. So there's there's a it's so again it's a similar kind of shape as we saw in paragraph two, but he's not laying it out the same way. It's not that same kind of if then thing. And I agree, Randall. It does sound a little bit stronger, uh, more forceful without the if statement. 
Um, yes, yes. He's not just kind of like, it's like in paragraph two, he's sort of, he's putting these things forward as theoreticals, right? If we say this and yet walk in darkness, we lie. But if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, right? Um, if this happens, then that. Um, and this is just statement. The one who says this is a liar. Whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has been perfected. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's a little more. He's kind of mixing things up. It's a little bit more direct. Notice though, he's still doing the like two in one thing. Um, that is, the negative statement contains the two things. Um, the one, right? The one who is a liar is the one of whom two things are true. One, they say, I have come to know him, and two, do not keep his commandments. Just as we saw back in verse six um, of chapter one, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, right? If both of those things are true, then we lie and do not practice the truth, right? Um, similarly, right, direct parallel, right? If you say, I have come to know him and do not keep his commandments, then you're a liar, right? The one who says that is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whereas in, again, in both cases, the other thing, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, there's no, there's no, um, our words don't enter into that notice, right? Um, it's important if there's a gap between our declaration and our walk, that's the, that's a problem, right? If those two things have to be listed separately, it's a bad lookout, right? Whereas and we see the same thing too here, right? The declaration, I have come to know him and the actual walk, not keeping his commandments, right? Um, whereas the other side, the positive side is simplicity and neither one of them even mentions the declaration, right? Um, the declaration seems to be less important. Remember what you say does matter, but where does what you say matter most? Where you say uh, confessing our sins, right? If we say we have no sin versus if we confess our sins, right? Um, confessing our sins seems to be a place where what we say really matters, right? But for the rest of the time, it seems to be mostly about what we actually, you know, the, uh, the actual walk, right? Walking in the light as he is in the light. And in this case, following his word. Um, okay. So we see, again, we're looking at this whole picture. We can see... Uh, how similar there's some differences, but 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 a, a lot of big similarities with that the way that John has been laying things out, the way that he's been thinking things through. Um, yes, oh man, hey, we're going to get back to this. Uh, reminds me of the way God's law is talked about in the Torah. To know God is to obey His law, or knowing the law and keeping it is the same thing. Yes, that is very clear. Um, there's a one of the things that was really kind of coming together for me as I was thinking through this section here, um, you know, these verses is how John is pulling all of these like terms and concepts together. Right. Um, remember we began this paragraph by this. We know that we have come to know him, right? How do we know that we know him? Um, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So, Hey, at, right at the beginning there, right? Uh, to, know God, to know God and to keep his commandments, John is bringing those together, right? Is, is um, 
well, not exactly identifying them yet, but he's linking them very firmly here, right? If we keep his commandments, then we know him, right? That's what knowing him means. Um, and so, yeah, we, we see we see that very similar thing here. Um, and And I agree with you there in verse four, once again, we have these absolutist statements that John has been making all along, right? The argument, the sort of the core, it seemed, well, not the core of his message exactly, but the core of his method, in a sense, like how John is proceeding is by showing us um, in like simple tautologies and simple contradictions. That is, again, it's like light and darkness, right? Remember, what's the core message? God is light and in him is no darkness at all, right? That kind of simplicity, you can't, there's no mix. There's no, it's not, it's not, you know, 60-40, it's not 80-20, you know, percentage-wise, right? It's uh, it's 100%, 0%. There are just these things which are absolutely contradictory to each other, like light and darkness are in contradiction to each other. If there is uh, if, you know, light drives out darkness by the nature of its being. And so similarly, you know, hey, I think in this same way, he is, uh, he is saying those two are the same things, right? In verse three, we could think that they're not absolutely identified, right? If you keep his commandments, then you have come to know him, right? As if, uh, Keeping his commandments maybe is the method by which we come to know him. So first you keep his commandments, and after you keep his commandments, now you know him, right? And that's, I think, kind of true. I mean, I think he does suggest that. Um, But you're right that when he turns around and says, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, right? Like it's it's not possible, right? Um, if If you aren't keeping his commandments, then by definition, you haven't come to know him any more than you can say, I'm standing in the light if you're actually standing in the darkness, right? Um, it, um, uh, it, isn't, um, it isn't really possible. Aiden, we touched on keeping commandments in a previous session, though I'd be happy to talk about it more, especially, uh, Aiden, if you have any insights into that verb uh, to keep um, uh, that uh, teroman verb uh, that we were looking at before, uh, because this is going to be an important word. Uh, this is a word that John's going to come back to lots of times, um, especially about commandments. Um, but yeah, yeah, um, we did. So we did talk about that a bit last time, but I'm very happy to talk about that more um, because it's certainly very relevant to what we're looking at here. But anyway, back to Haya's point. Um, the accusation, right? The reason he can say, the reason he does say such bald things, right? Just unadorned, like if you say this, you're a liar. Right? I mean, it's a it's a serious accusation. I it's it's one of the things that I find kind of interesting in the modern world. People don't um uh <laughs> I mean, even like even just recently on Twitter, I had this exchange with somebody where uh, you know, I, I was saying to somebody who was uh, 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 accusing me of lying, I was, you know, saying that I hadn't been paid by Amazon. And they're like, you obviously have. Why are you lying? And I'm like, why are you insulting me? Like, you don't even know me. I don't understand. And he's like, I didn't insult you. And I'm like, 
yeah, you just told, you just said I was lying. That's an insult. Um, and that's not even processed as an insult by most modern people anymore, I find. Um, and it, this comes up a lot when, because of course I teach a lot of old literature, um, whether it's Tolkien, which is still kind of old literature already, and but certainly is also, you know, Tolkien is also writing in the spirit of much older literature, or whether I'm actually teaching, you know, like 19th century literature or medieval literature or whatever. Um, uh, but anyway, like in earlier times, to call someone a liar, to accuse them of telling a lie, um, I mean, that's fighting words, right? I mean, like you got to fight a duel now, right? I, seriously, like it was a really, really, really big deal. Um, so for him to, now this doesn't mean nobody ever lied before, right? It doesn't mean that lying is like a new thing, but our attitude towards lying has changed in the modern world very significantly beyond what it was uh, in earlier times. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah. Oh, good. Steven, you're right. Steven says a lot of people also don't understand the difference between lying and being wrong slash mistaken slash incorrect. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but, um, anyway, uh, coming back to what he's saying here again, it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a really striking thing. I mean, it sounds striking even to modern people. Right. Uh, I mean, because we want to be cut a little slack. Right. So, I mean, OK, because I mean, verse four sounds hard, man. Right. Like if you say I've come to know him and you don't keep his commandments, you're a liar. Like, well, can't I just be like imperfect? Like maybe. Right. I mean, I like to think I've come to know God some. Right. But I also know I don't keep his commandments all the time. And I mean, I sometimes do stupid stuff, right? I do wrong things that I have to confess later on. So, uh, I, but this, that makes me a liar. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, it still sounds really harsh to modern people. My point is that earlier on, it would sound even harsher. It's, it doesn't even sound as harsh in the modern world as it would have sounded back then. So um, it, it, the point that I'm making is that John is making a, a sort of a striking statement. Why? Why does he put it this way? I mean, is it just for shock value, right? I mean, is is he just like trying to get a reaction out of you or trying to bring conviction, right? You know, don't um, and I, you know, maybe in some ways it kind of works that way, right? That it's easy, for, you know, once we start saying like, well, you know, I don't keep his commandments all the time, but he understands and, you know, I know him, but even if I don't keep his commandments all the time, I still know him and I'm still, I'm sure everything's okay, right? I mean, and it is easy to kind of lean more and more into that until pretty soon you're not even really trying to keep his commandments. And so to some extent, the mere shock value of like, dude, it's not okay, right? Um, is is important, um, but I but I do think there's more. I think it's more back to what Haya was pointing out. More of the purely logical contradiction of the thing, right? Um, you are a liar. You are saying what is a lie, and remember, the opposite of lie is truth, right? The opposite of uh, of is 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 is, is aletheia, which is a really really important word, not only in this book as a whole, but in this passage itself particularly. It is the opposite of the truth. The truth is not in you, right? Uh, if you say this and don't keep 
his, if you say I've come to know him and you don't keep his commandments, it's not, it's not possible. Again, it's like saying I'm in the light and I'm in the darkness at the same time. Right. Um, uh, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't come to know God and not keep his commandments. That's what coming to know God means. And therefore, like if you say you're wet and dry at the same time, like you say you're you're uh, you know you're you're in light and shadow at the same time, you're speaking nonsense, right? You're telling lies. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, right, Bruce says that you know, does the truth is not in him mean he's lying, or that? Christ is not in him. Yes. <laughs> yes, both. Uh, I mean, clearly the correspondence between, I mean, he's paired lying and truth before, right? I mean, this is one of our, this is one of our, oh, uh, where to go? Here it is. One of our pairings, Aletheia and Pseudomai, right? Um, he's been pairing this together since verse six uh, of chapter one. And we see him pairing them again, as again, right? Liar, truth is not in him. Um, so on the one hand, it is, he means truth in the sense of the opposite of lies, right? That which is, as opposed to that which is not, right? Um, but at the same time, yes, do I think that he means when he says the truth is not in him, is he referring to Jesus, to the spirit of truth? Um, is he saying you don't have koinonia, with the father when that's true yeah yeah i think so um uh i think it i i i know i think we've seen hints of that already right um remember back i'm just uh, a brief history of the use of aletheia in first john so far right verse six of chapter one if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth see now there Bruce, it sounds like just truth is the opposite. Again, truth is the opposite of 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 lies, right? The truth is something you practice. It's a thing that you do, right? You don't. You're not acting truly. You're 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 living a lie, right? Um, but then we come back to it in verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? Um, and that's when it begins to sound like truth is more than just the opposite of lies, right? Um, just a statement about the the right nature of things, the actual nature of things, um, that it's something that can be in us, right? And this, of course, comes right after verse 7, when we were talking about uh, when we he was bringing up koinonia again, right? We have fellowship, we're talking about fellowship with God, in verse six, we're talking about fellowship with one another um, uh, and walking in the light as he himself is in the light. And now we've got the truth being in us in verse eight. Um, and uh, and then notice uh, Bruce in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right. And now word, even more than truth, begins to like now we're getting into second person of the trinity language right now we're now we're now we're, we're we seem to be talking about jesus again um his word is not in us 
meaning as so often does clearly more than one thing, right? His word is not in us in the sense that like his teachings are not in his heart. His instru- We're not taking to heart his instructions if we're making him a liar, right? But of course, also that sense of the word is not in us either. Um, yeah. So anyway, we come back to this and now we've got the truth is not in us. Again, the one who says this is a liar and the truth is not in him. Um, yeah, Aiden says, that strikes me as the kind of argumentation I find myself tempted to use, to use logic to show what the world is supposed to be as forcefully as you can manage. And then when the other person agrees with you about what it should be, then you can step back and set up a place for a well-meaning failure to achieve it. Yeah, I, I mean, again, this is one of the things that I'm going to be really interested in trying to understand um, with First John. That is, he tends to be quite uncompromising, right? I mean, you know, saying things like, um, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, right? Um, My word to you is just stop sinning. Knock it off, please, right? That's that's my my goal. My goal is that you should stop sinning. And it's like, wow, okay, all right. Um, uh, But clearly there is room for imperfection, right? He's not saying that like anyone who's ever committed a sin, sorry, you're not a real Christian, give up, right? Um, Because of course, as we remember in that very same verse, he immediately segues to, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, right? So like he knows it's going to happen, but that doesn't change the fact that he's going to say, don't sin, right? Um, So again, for a moment, not for a moment, for quite some time, actually, for the next year or so, right? Let go of the idea, like, like, don't be afraid of perfectionism. Don't be afraid of it, right? Um, Let's take in what he's saying. Let's see what he is instructing us. And then once we understand the teachings in principle, let us try to understand what they mean. So like, again, what I mean is back to what Haya was pointing out with verse four, right? the principle is coming to know him, keeping his commandments identically. Again, you can't do one without the other, right? It's not possible. And if you say that you are, you're just, you're, you're lying. You're speaking what is not the truth, which means that therefore the truth is not in you. QED, right? Um, that's the teaching. Now, what does that mean for those of us who might not keep his commandments all the time? Right. Well, we have to see, right. We have to see, but, but again, we need to, we need to, I think the anxiety that immediately creeps up when you hear John saying these like really shocking and absolutist things, um, I think really get in the way we want to immediately start saying like, well, he can't actually mean that. No, I think he does mean this. Um, the question is, what does that mean for us? Uh, because it's it's quite clear to me that John is not just got his head in the ground, uh, you know, about this stuff. Like he's not he's not, you know, he's not living in a fantasy world. Uh, he knows, he knows in others and presumably in himself quite well enough um, that the kind of simplicity that he's describing. I mean, again, it's just simple. If you know him, you've kept his commandments. Like, there's no discussion, right? It's simple. It's simple. Simple identities. This equals this. Um, 
by arguing in these kinds of simple ways, what is he, what is he telling us? And what does this mean for us? Um, yeah. Hey, I agree. Jesus was rather uncompromising at times as well. So John is in good company. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, Devorah is wondering if that, the, the, the word that isn't in us back in verse 10, um, and his word is not in us, right? Uh, Devorah is wondering if uh, his, the, that, 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 the word in question, right? Um, is related to the word of life stuff that we started with way back in verse one, right? Um, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have gazed upon and handled concerning the word of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Devorah, I, th- I think it's really important uh, to recall the pairing of word and life there at the beginning, right? The life was manifested. Um which of course, I guess, do you see what I mean when I was saying, when I, when I was feeling like verses four and five, I feel like is pulling together all of this vocabulary from all over the place, like truth, word, life, like no, notice how they're all coming together here uh, in this one place. Like they don't mean the same thing. They're not synonyms. They're not like exactly interchangeable. They all mean different things. They tell us different and important things. And yet they're all, they're all connected. Like I said, I said this, you know, months ago, I feel like the gospel of John is brought to you by the transitive property, right? Um, like it's, you know, th- this, this sort of like this equals this and that equals that. And so these two things equal each other, uh, these connections that he's making, kind of bringing these things together. I think that's really important. Um, and yeah, Aiden, absolutely. I agree. He's showing us the logical inescapability of what's going on here, whether we like it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, he Logical inescapability, um, I think, is the perfect uh, uh, sort of characterization of John's approach uh, in this whole epistle. <laughs> if I if I if I had to if I had to give um, a sort of a subtitle or a one sentence uh, kind of characterization of John's approach uh, in this epistle, it would be with a matrix quote. That is the sound of inevitability. <laughs> right? That's that's what First John feels like to me. Um, yeah, my goodness. Um, yes, exactly. Hey, knowing God, following His law, keeping His commandments, and having life is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. There's no life without the One who gives life to all. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly. That's that's just that's just it. Um, yeah, such good stuff here uh, in verse four. And we haven't even gotten into verse five fully yet. Um, yeah, and notice he's going to introduce new terms, bring in more terms together. Notice uh, how he immediately, well, let's go ahead and look at it. Notice how he brings in word here, but whoever follows his word. Okay, so notice what he's done. He's taken two completely new well, not completely new terms, not he's never used them, um, but he's introducing new, instead of repeating the terms, right? The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments. So our key verbs in the first half are know and keep, right? Um, if you know, you, you know him and you keep, then the truth is not in you, right? So you've got that, you've got, you know, if, uh, if knowing and keeping is not both happening, then the truth is not there. And so then when he does the other side of that, you might think like he'd pull back those same terms, 
right? Um, but whoever keeps his commandments, in him the love of God has truly been perfected, right? I mean, that would be like the obvious thing to say. But notice John doesn't say that. But whoever follows his word. So we we lose keep and replace it with follows, and we lose commandments and keep it with word, right? Um, whoever follows his word. And let's start with the noun, um, because we've just been talking about word. Um, and here, again, no, more than ever, I begin to see, oh, wait, hang on a second, hang on a second. Am I being deceived by the English? Wait, I haven't consulted the Greek yet. Hang on, hang on. Uh, whoever may, oh, yeah, may keep his word. No, you're right. It's exactly the same word. Never mind. Cool. So he does keep the same word. See, there we go. Got to stay rooted in that. Very, very good. Very good. Yep. Yep. No, I got distracted. I am, I am shocked. I am shocked. No American standard. What are you doing? Oh, my goodness. They've been so reliable with this to show us those kinds of perils, not to hide them. Keep and follow doesn't mean that doesn't don't, they don't mean the same thing. If it's the same word, they usually use the same word. I feel, I feel betrayed. I know that is out of character for the NASB. I feel modestly betrayed. <laughs> by the, I mean, very slight. That's only very, it's a, it's a very slight betrayal and I can forgive it, but, uh, but no, I mean, that's exactly what they normally do. Like, yeah, it would be more boring to use the same word in English. It's more interesting to mix it up and use a synonym, but that's exactly the kind of logic that the NASB usually avoids. That's why it's not very interesting to read, unless you're really interested in what the Greek actually says. Um, uh, yeah, and that's why there's so many of the other English translations which read better. Like They're just a better read as, as like a piece of English, right, than the NASB. Um, but, uh, oh, man. Whew. Okay, I, I'm, I'm not... I'm not going to castigate the translators here. I'm going to try to get over it. It's okay. It's okay. But yeah, okay, there we go. Same word, same word. Whoever, so he does, so so we do keep the verb, but we do change the noun of that. I'm pretty confident here. Log on. Yes, indeed. We've got log on uh, versus the, where are they up here? The entolas. That's right. Okay. All right. Okay, so same verb. That's a good thing. I was going to start with the noun then because that's the thing that's different. So he shifts the verb instead of saying, uh, "So if you, I, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments, the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word. And so again, you'd expect him to say whoever keeps his commandments, right? But he doesn't say keeps his commandments. He says keeps his word. Um, and there, I think most clearly we begin to see the way in which the word word uh, is beginning to have these multiple th thinking back the wonderful point that Devorah made about the word of life stuff at the beginning uh, of in, uh, in back in verse one, one um, and uh, the, his word is not in him that we get uh, his word is not in us right in verse 10 uh, there. Notice the parallel. So on the one hand word, like the, like the, primary meaning, I would say, is clearly as a sort of synonym for commandments, right? Um, his commandments, like the what, what the word, his instructions, the message, the word that he gave us, right? His commandments. Um, the parallelism shows that those two things are clearly sort of next to each other, right? Um, 
but but um thinking back both to what we were saying about like how the word not being in you before seemed like a statement about koinonia with god right um and it's hard to disconnect it from the logos and from the word of life uh as well that we got before um and i think that that's truly that's surely the case here whoever follows his word um to follow the word means two things right first and foremost to keep the commandments right but also to keep <laughs> sorry i'm like i'm like this close from just like editing the nasb myself like i want to go in and delete that word and put keep so that i stop even saying the word follows um but then it wouldn't actually be the nasb so um hang on a second i know what i'm gonna do right hang on now all right, I'm going to put an asterisk. Okay, that'll make me feel better. <laughs> okay, done. All right. All right, that, was, that fixed it, sort of. All right, at least now I'll remember. Okay, whoever whoever keeps his word. Um. So yeah, so anyway, we, we can see the, the, the two meanings, right? There's two, to obey his commandments to obey, to follow his message, right? But also, you know, to do what his message tells you, but also to keep him, right? To sort of remain in contact with him, to hold on to him. And so here I want to go back, Aiden, I know you were saying some interesting things earlier on about uh, keeping, about that verb. And I want to come back to that now. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Aiden says here, uh, logos could be either rule slash principle or message um yeah yeah exactly it really could work either way with of course then the the overlay of uh the association between the word and jesus himself but anyway hang on so i'm going back aiden to the point you were making before okay um right so talking about the word keep aiden says it means protect watch out for keep an eye on in its more literal sense um, but that's a cross-linguistically normal extension. Um, that is, to protect something means to means to follow it. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. To keep it's, it's it's almost like to guard them, right? Um, and I, yeah, I do the 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 metaphor here seems to be um, a Hebrew one fundamentally, like the like to to um, the hide them in your heart, right? Like to 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 keep them in your heart um like that you know the the metaphor of of you know the uh the commandments of god being written uh you know the testament of god being written on the heart um uh which is uh, such an important idea that comes up in multiple places uh throughout the hebrew bible right um yeah yeah uh that's I, you can see there the extension kind of uh kind of uh, kind of working uh, there. Yeah, interesting. Aiden says Japanese has the same extension. To keep an agreement uh, is to uh, is to uh, protect it. Yeah, like so. The, the word for protect is used to meaning you're like following the rule. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, interesting. So Randall says in my studies, I found two words for the general concept, both of which correspond to English: guard equals keep and watch equals observe. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. That is a really interesting, you can, you can see the concept there. Um, the, the thing that, the thing that I'm most interested in, uh, the thing that I'm most interested in with this kind of connection with that, with the kind of the way that, that the meaning of that word is extended uh, in that, in that way. Um, and of course, even the word keep, I mean, the English word keep uh, has an element of that too, right? It doesn't have, it doesn't have like the, the sort of the militant overtones of like guard, right. Um, or protect exactly, but to keep something, um, in English, right, means to to store it away, um, to keep it safe, right? To um, uh, again, it, it doesn't mean I'm going to set a watch over it. Exactly, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to post myself as a guard over it. But it does mean I'm going to hold on to it. There's a there's there's a sense of security there um, with keeping, right? Um, and and so to talk about keeping the commandments, um, it's more than just, I'm going to do them, right? There's more, there's more even to the English word keep than that, right? And so I, it, it seems to me a good word that, that appeals to some of this, whereas like the, uh, you know, a, a more literal, like guard, guard or protect or watch over um, wouldn't really convey it in English in the same way, right? But um I think keep is a good translation in this way because it does, it doesn't just talk about like, you know, if somebody gives you an order and you do it right. Like if I, you know, tell my son, um, you know, bring that downstairs. Right. And he does it, you know, he's not like that word that I just said, right. That, that, that commandment I just gave him, he's not like keeping it right he's not like taking that commandment and and hiding it in his heart right he's not he's not uh he, he just he just he just complied right he just did it and that was a good thing and everything right and you can say of course that that's part of a larger picture of his relationship with me and his relationship to my authority over him i mean there's more we can do even with that kind of a simple situation but again it's still my point is simply there's some if we didn't have that word keep right that that sense of guarding protecting securing holding on to if we didn't have that it would suggest a very different relationship with his commandments his word right um it we would be less intimately connected with it if you see what i mean um uh there's an element of it it, it says something about our attitude towards the commandments and of course by extension to the one who gave the commandments right we don't just follow them we don't just obey them we hold on to them right we cherish them in some ways again keep and cherish have some you know similarities in that way um yeah as prey says follow is less attitude driven yeah exactly exactly um and yes, Aiden points out it's much less about being restricted by his rules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, 
Absolutely. Yeah. Heya says it's more, uh, it, it's a more, it's, it's more intimate, um, uh, rather than simply obeying an order. Um, yes, yes. Um, Patrick is pointing out the, the image of vigilance involved, um, not a one-time completed action, but a perpetual calling. Good. Yes. That kind of duration over time. Um, if you're going to keep, like if you're keeping something, right, there's a difference between I'm going to keep something and I'm going to put something in my pocket that I'll throw away later. Right. Um, I mean, I held on to like my, uh, my baggage ticket, uh, you know, the thing that comes off the end of your baggage tag when you check a suitcase and I put it in my pocket, but I don't keep that right for all time. As soon as I get my baggage out of the baggage claim, I throw it away, not the bag, the ticket. Right. Um, so yeah, I, 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 but if you're keeping something, right, that means, you know, like you're, if you're like putting something in a scrapbook, if you're, you know, putting something in a safe place, though that in my house usually means it's lost forever. Um, or um, yeah, we've, my wife and it's been a joke between my wife and I for a long time. Like, oh no, you didn't put it in a safe place, did you? Uh, but anyway, that's a kind of an irony. Um yeah. So Patrick, I agree. That's a really important element that, uh, the, uh, the persistence over time that is implied, um, in, uh, in keep, uh, in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think these are all really, really, uh, good and important things about that verb keeping, um, to keep his commandments to whoever keeps his word. Um, but again, notice how he's introduced this shift, right? Commandments, plural, is impersonal. That is, it's impersonal. I mean, it's personal in the sense like they may be very personal commands, right? And they may come to you very directly from a person. I, I, don't, I don't mean to discount either of those two things. What I'm saying is though, like to keep his word um, means when the word of God is not only a commandment or a set of commandments, but also a person, right? Jesus Christ. Then keeping Jesus is more personal, right? Um, to hold on to, to guard that koinonia, that fellowship between you and God, between you and Jesus. Um, and I think so. If I could do an interpretive reading of the uncharacteristic mistranslation of that verb in verse five there in the NASB, um, I think that they succumbed to the temptation to do, well, temptation to play. That's really, sorry. I don't mean, I shouldn't harsh on them like that. But anyway, I, but I think you can see what they were doing, right? It's not just about obeying the commandments. It's about following Jesus, right? And follow is a version of that verb that works better with a person, right? Um, and so I think that the way that, I think that the translators here were sort of perceiving not a shift, but this uh, overlay, right? This new second meaning overlay uh, that John places upon, instead of just repeating commandments by saying his word, um, they overlay that second meaning of it's not just the commandments, it's Jesus himself, right? It is the word. Um, 
And so I think that they were trying to emphasize that overlay by shifting from keep to follows, which again is more sort of personal. Um, but um, uh, but that's what other translations do, NASB. Stay in your lane. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. I wouldn't be a translator. Uh, I don't think I could. I'm, I'm not sure I have uh, the constitution. Uh, to be a translator. Um, uh, so many hard choices. Like I would just be in tears all the time <laughs> trying to trying to capture everything that I knew couldn't possibly be captured um, that or I would like never get anywhere. I'd be like the slowest translator of all time, right? Because uh, I'd always be laboring to try to find a way to make it say everything. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, Notice again that same idea of like bringing these terms together. Notice how through this overlay, um, the the word logos here becomes this kind of central term, right? The logos is on the one hand Jesus, and on the other hand, it is the commandments, the word, the message, right? The Logos is what God says, and the Logos is what God says, what God commands, and the Logos is Jesus as well, right? Which means that we need to keep that connection in mind as well, the connection between his commandments and Jesus himself, right? Um, which again, lo, look where that brings us right back to how can you say I've come to know him if you don't keep his commandments? It's the same thing, right? You keep his commandments, you take his words, you take his, uh, his, his law and you, you write that on your heart, right? And you guard it and you watch over it and you, you keep it safe, like really safe. Um, and guess what? Then you know him. Why? Because he is that, right? Um, he is that uh, in a similar sort of sense. <laughs> exactly, praise. Mine would be the million footnote edition. Absolutely. It totally would. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, anyway, okay, okay. So, so we see how all of this stuff comes together, and it's all really kind of mind-blowing. Um and who, but whoever keeps his word, let's keep going. In him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Um, the love of God, the agape of God, has been perfected. In him, the love of God has been perfected. Okay. Let's go back to the Greek here. Um, in him, the love of God, Theo, has been perfected. Um, this means, so you guys can help me with this word, tetaleotai, 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 yeah, it's the long O, tetaleotai, right, um, has reached its goal right has been completed has like finished its work is that, am i right in understanding that word right 
Right. Same root as teleology. Right. Exactly. Tell, tell, yeah. Yeah. Um, related to it is finished on the cross. Praise is suggesting. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. I was pretty sure that was the case. Right. Um, uh, perfected. Perfected is a tricky word. Uh, it's tricky because like in origins, like the from the Latin, perfected means completed, right? That's exactly, you know, from its, like etymologically speaking, it's exactly the right word to use to describe that. Um, but in modern, in common modern usage, I think it, that might create some confusion, actually. Um, modern people seem to have the idea of perfect, meaning, um, you know, like, ideal for something to be made perfect uh meaning it's like made without flaw made to be yeah flawless exactly uh praise um and so the whole idea of something being made progressively like progressing towards perfection uh is slightly alien i think to the modern usage of perfection. Um, like something can be perfect and then it it's, you know, a flaw develops and it's not perfect anymore. But I mean, everybody knows that like, if there's a flaw in something already and you like fix the flaws, it, it might be better, but it's not perfect. Right. Um, Cause you know, flaws are rarely uh, are rarely corrected perfectly. Right. Um but yes, completed, brought to fullness. Exactly. Um, it's not the same word. Actually, I wanted to ask you guys about this. Um, uh, I took to ask my wonderful Greek scholars about this. I was contemplating what he says here about the love of God being perfected and what he said back in verse four of chapter one, these things we write so that our joy may be complete. Now, I know they're not the right word or not, not, not the same word. Um, uh, this is tit. Uh, teteleotai, right from the from teleon, and then back in chapter one, it was the where with all the p's. Where was it? Where'd it go? Verse four, uh, 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 uh. right? Yes, pepleromene, uh, pepleromene, uh, meaning to be filled up, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, filled up, right? Um, so th that one is uh, filled up like a cup being filled up to the brim. Right. So we want our joy to be filled up to the brim um, and the love of God is being made, is being perfected, is being made complete. So those seem to me to be similar ideas, but I think they're not the same. I know that. I mean, I know it's not the same word, um, but I was, I was I was doing some thinking about that. And I wanted to keep I wanted to keep doing that. Um, right. That uh, uh, telos is about the goal or endpoint, as Randall was saying, right? Um, the differences between fullness and the achievement of a goal. Um, yes. So like if you, when you're filling up a cup, I mean, there is a sense in which it's reached completion, right? But it's not exactly the telos, like the purpose of a cup just to be filled, right? It's just as much the purpose of a cup for it to be emptied, <laughs> right? Um, so the image of a full cup, a cup full to the brim and either overflowing or about to overflow, right, um, is 
a really evocative metaphor um, for, you know, when he says he wants our joy to be complete, right? He wants our joy to be full in this way. Um, but but it still doesn't have the, like, there is a destined end point and this achieves it that is contained in the word telos, as I've always understood it. Um, and if that's what we're talking about here, about the love of God, I mean, holy cow, that's a huge statement, isn't it? The love of God is perfected. I mean, like, that sounds like he's saying, this is the point of the love of God. Like, the love of God, the whole purpose of the love of God was this, right? I mean, and that's saying a lot more than my cup is really full, right? Um, That's a huge deal. So let's go back. Okay. Whoever follows, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has been perfected. Okay, so what does that mean? The love of God has been perfected. This is the point of the love. In him, the love of God has been perfected. So, one question. Yeah. Hey, that's just what I was going to ask. Um, there are a couple different ways in which we could understand the perfection, the telos here, the end point, the goal that is being achieved or, or fulfilled, right, um, in this moment. One is in him, right? So that is when a person has come to know God because he where, you know, when a person keeps his word, then he has come to know God. Then the love of God in him is perfected, right? See the distinction there? The love of God, which is within him, is brought to its fulfillment, is brought to its um, final place, right? The other way to understand it is that the love of God itself has been perfected. And I think John means both of them. I've rarely found times in first John so far when we've seen multiple possibilities like this, where I don't think we're supposed to be, you know, maintain them both at once. So let's think about them both for a second. On the one hand, I think he is saying that like, this is to say that the love of God is perfected the love of God in you is perfected is the same thing as to say you have come to know him. And the same thing as saying you are in koinonia with God. You are in fellowship with God. I think once again, he's kind of bringing together these different terms, right? These and, and sort of showing these things all it's, he's talking about the same thing in all of these different ways. What does it mean to know God? What does it mean? For the uh, uh, what does it mean to have fellowship with God? Well, it means that God's love in you is completed in you, it has been brought its goal, right? The destination, the end point of God's love was to bring you into koinonia, to bring you to knowledge of Him. And when that happens, then 
the his love is perfected it's 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 complete this is that's what that's what it was that's the, that's how the love of god in you that's what the completion of the love of god in you means but i also think that he's making a pretty big theological claim about god here too that at least as far as we are concerned this is the purpose of god's love why does god love us what's the point what's the point of god loving people the point of god loving people is that they should come to know him. The end point, the goal of God bestowing his love on people is koinonia, with those people, right? Now, I don't think that this necessarily means that John is saying there is no other, like, I'm sure, I'm quite sure that there are many other levels of like, that the answer, that the why question, why do you love people, God? Um, I mean, like, why did that seem like a good idea to you in the first place? Like, first to create people and then to love them? I'm sure that that question has answers on levels that we can't possibly understand. Um, But as far as relates to us, (laughs) as far as it's our business to know, that seems to me to work Um, with, like, I don't think that that's you know, radical and strange theology that seems to me to fit what we see in many other places in the Bible, that the end point, the telos of God's love for humans is that we should keep his commandments, keep his word, be in fellowship with him, come to know him. Um, That seems to me right. Let me come back around to the did, did I talk before? You guys can tell me. Did I talk before about my, when I was, when I had my realization about uh, Christian liberty? It's like one of those things that's like so simple once you see it. But like, and then I'm like, how did I spend half my life not understanding this? Did, did, did I talk about that yet? I can't remember if I talked about that yet. Um, I don't, okay. I don't think I did. So uh, let me, let me talk about that. Um, I used to have a hard time with the idea. So Christian liberty, um, Remember, this is where, like, when Paul talks about it, it's 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 all about the law. Like, it all comes down to I never really understood the law, and I certainly never understood what Paul used to say about the law. Now, I don't want to get too distracted in like doing Pauline analysis here because we're not reading Paul, and that wouldn't be fair. But um, but basically, the idea that like we as Christians don't have to keep the law anymore, right? Because we have liberty in Christ, we have freedom in Christ. Um. And so I always vaguely understood that to mean we have freedom to not keep the law, right? Like that, like the law that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, so we, we don't have to worry about it. Um, God gave the law, but then like, I go back to Mount Sinai and I'm like, well, he seems real serious about this, (laughs) you know, like, and not only does he seem like he really, really means it, but he also seems, um, to connect it with like his identity, you know, like I am the Lord. I mean, he's like his giving of the law to the people on Mount Sinai is explicitly connected to his revelation of who he is to the people. Right. Um, And so this is one of the things that I've been, you know, when I mentioned stuff that I've been like reading and thinking about, well, that was one of them. Uh, I've been reading and thinking a lot about doing a lot of Hebrew scripture studies and, um, the Sinai covenant and who um, like how clear it is that God is saying, okay, 
I'm trying to, I want to show you who I am and what I'm like. And you're going to be my people. We're going to establish this covenant. And what that means is you are going to live according to my, like get, I'm, I'm going to show you how to model yourself after me, right? I'm going to show you, how, this is who, who I am. And this is who I want you to, and therefore, this is who I want you to be, because I want you to be connected to me. I want you to be my people, right? Um, so again, at first, I, but way back, you know, from when I was a kid, I had this really simplistic idea of like, okay, the law, phew, good thing we don't have to follow the law anymore, because I've read the Old Testament and yikes, right? So uh, like, but so, okay, Christian liberty, right? So I, I you know, I always... Um, uh, sort of viewed the idea of Christian liberty like a get out of jail free card, right? <laughs> like when, you know, when somebody's like uh, kosher foods, I'm like, nope, got the Christian liberty card, right? I'm eating pork. Thank you very much. And anyway, right? right? I mean, that's that's kind of, that's that's the really simplistic view of Christian liberty I always had. Um, but then I, again, I began thinking more about the Sinai covenant and what that meant and how closely it's tied, as I say, to God's revelation of himself and everything. Um, and I began to see that a little bit more clearly. And then I was studying this verse. Um, whoever follows his, whoever keeps his commandments, whoever keeps his word, in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Um if you keep his commandments, you know him. And if you know him, his love is fulfilled in you, is completed, is perfected in you. Um, and I suddenly realized the whole point about God's commandments. It was not about putting restrictions on people. It was about training them. And he was starting at from scratch, you know, back, uh, you know, on Mount Sinai and, you know, when the Levitical priesthood following, um, starting from scratch, showing what he's like and what his love is like, right? Christian liberty is not liberty from God's commandments. It's liberty to follow his commandments, um, and to follow his commandments in newer and deeper ways. To the liberty involves not a change of anything, right? But a transformation of the law code into love the Lord God and love your neighbor as yourself. And because you have the spirit living within you, you have the freedom to work out what that means, not to do less, but to do more to follow God more closely. Um, but now that Jesus has come, and now that you have the spirit, I'm taking the training wheels off. Those are the training wheels, right? It was the schoolmaster that Paul talks about with the law, right? The Torah. Um, yeah, he, 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 the, you know, the Israelites were riding the bike with the training wheels, right? Because they wouldn't stay up otherwise. But now we have help. Right. Um, and um, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the uh, Randall. I, I, I do think that's exactly one of the things that um, that Jeremiah's point that we see in Jeremiah 31 the, about God's law being written in our heart. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that, you know, one person will not need to say to the other, 
you know, know the law because we'll, we'll all know the law, right? The law will be written in our hearts. Um, yeah, that's what, um, that's what liberty looks like, right? And so again, that, but it all came from this verse, right? The real, like, you know, so I'd been thinking about that, but this is where it all came together. This, this identity, right? Keep his commandments. Cause again, that was a struggle I was having, right? That idea of keeping commandments seemed very not like very distantly connected with the love of God, let's just say, right? And goodness knows there are plenty of people out there who feel that the commandments that God gives are uh, the opposite of expressing the love of God, right? That seems like mean God. I mean, it's like where the whole Old Testament, God, New Testament, God split thing comes from in part, right? Um is this idea of like, okay, you have this God who's always like out to stop people having fun and making all these rules, right? Which are really hard to follow when they're not weird, like legitimately weird. Um, and then uh, you've got the, you know, hey, love one another. Awesome. Who doesn't like that, right? Um, anyway, seeing... So yes, the use of keep his commandments, whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And realizing at the end of the day that it was always about the love of God, right? That the, the, the Sinai covenant was about God's love for his people, right? Um, and that they should come to know him. Um, this also, you know, many people have commented on this. I know that there's been uh, many, many a Christian over the centuries who has struggled to understand why the psalmists speak of how precious the word of God, the law is, right? Um, and how much they love the law and how grateful they are for the law. And I mean, I used to read that stuff and be like, whatever, you are weird. Like, I mean, it's one thing to follow the rules and not mind, right? But it's another thing to be all like, oh, rules. Oh, thank you for the rules. Oh, blessed rules, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I never got it at all, right? Um, but seeing this really helped to crystallize all those things together, as I said, um, keeping his commandments, coming to know him, uh, following him, right? And the love of God being perfected in you, being in fellowship with God. They're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. That's what God was after. That's what God was after on Mount Sinai. That's what God is after now. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and again, the difference, the difference is, um, you know, the difference in the, like, the nature of Christian liberty is not that we have the freedom from the law, but that we have the freedom to apply the law, right? The freedom to keep his commandments more deeply, more radically, more creatively, right? More organically um, to make them, to make them into us and us into them um, in because of this remarkable gift of the spirit of truth. Um, and 
that brings me to the final point. There's more points, almost certainly, to be made next time. But um, the word that gets dropped in is an adverb in this sentence, right? And I will admit, when I um, I told you that I, I, you know, I love the King James. When I'm just reading the Bible to read the Bible, I still read the King James. Um, for all of its imperfections, I just love it. It is beautiful, uh, and it echoes in my heart, and I'm not going to apologize. But when I was memorizing this verse, um, look how it goes. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Verily, right? Uh, verily is a wonderful intensifier. It's a very King James-ish word. Um, one is one doesn't encounter the word verily much outside of the King James these days. Um, but again, it's just kind of tossed in there, right? And and I I took it, I absorbed it as an intensifier, right? Verily. Yeah, yeah, truly. I mean, absolutely. Uh, really. In him, the love of God is really, really perfected, right? Is kind of how I took that. But, and honestly, even reading it, you know, the love of God has truly been perfected. Yeah, I mean, it, it really has. It really has. And it wasn't until I read it in the Greek that the uh, alethos jumped out at me, right? And I'm like, oh, right. Should pay attention to that, right? Uh, truly, like with the truth that was not in the one who says this, um, in him, the love of God. Now, I, so Greek people, Tell me a little bit more about how this adverb works. Um, the word, the adverb in English, I would say the adverb is modifying um, this verb has been perfected. Um, is that how it works? Is there agreement between adverbs and verbs or anything? Or is the adverb just have a single form? It looks like it just has a single form because I don't see any, any conjugation uh indication here um yeah okay it just has a single form that's what i was taking from this alethos um sorry didn't mean to click that okay yeah uh the love of god has been perfected in truth by means of truth, right? It's It ceases to be in the context, right? The use of alethos here, um, when the aletheia was just used in verse four, and we already set up aletheia in the previous paragraph, the way that we did with the truth, not practicing the truth and the truth not being in you. And now the truth not being in you again in verse four. And now God has truly in truth, in Aletheia, been perfected. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, right, Aiden says it looks like it might be a friend because it comes at the beginning, right? Um, whoever, however, right, yeah, however, whoever may keep his word, comma, truly in him the love of God has been perfected, right? It seems to frame the whole, yeah, Randall was saying the same thing. It's at the beginning of the phrase. Um, so it would seem to, to modify the whole thought right? All of that stuff. In him, the love of God has been perfected. Truly, 
right? Like Aletheia to all of that, right? Um, all of that is happening in the context of Aletheia. Um, what can you guys tell me? Well, and maybe we can pick this up next time. What can you guys tell me about the use of alethos as an adverb? Um, is it used as just like, is it often used as an intensifier in that, like in the way that I was describing, like really, really um, or like, no, I totally mean it. Um, uh, or is it connected conceptually with truth? Like in truth. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um Right. It is used as a formal affirmation. Okay. Right. In truth, right. To sort of assert the truth of what is coming. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, I have to think, I can't not think that John is using that is, is playing on the word there. Right. Um, yeah, a formula of affirmation, right? Thank you, Hey, right. Um, if it's a formula of affirmation, which again, is, it's how it is used in English too, truly, right? Um, that tracks. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so he uses the word formulaically on the one hand. Right to affirm what he's going to say. Um, however, whosoever whoever whosoever keeps his word, and I mean this now, in him the love of God has been perfected. Right. So on the one hand, it's that kind of a formula, right? But in context, I think it has to also. He's, I think he's playing on the word aletheia. Right. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Randall says uh, it's a question that might be best answered by a native speaker, which unfortunately are no longer alive. So true. So often the case. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, praise. Absolutely. John, the gospel of John is where we get the, in the King James, we get all those verily, verily, I say unto you from Jesus. Right. Um, yes. The gospel of John's Jesus uses alethos, alethos all the time, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, but exactly, yeah, Randall, I agree. Given John's emphasis on truth and the immediate context in this sentence of lying versus uh, having the truth in you, right? Um, just as the truth is not in you seems to have more than more than one layer, right? The truth is not in you in the sense that, like, you know, what the the you know the the emptiness of substance, right? The like you are an if you say this and don't do that, then what you're stating is a is an empty statement. It's an impossibility, right? The truth is not in you. Um, there's nothing there. Uh, but of course, it also means the truth, which is something, is not there, right? The truth, which is someone, is not there. Um, so again, I think that the presence of the spirit of truth uh, is also 
uh, I think there's a layer of that, of the use of that formula here, which is invoking that. And it's interesting. I've never thought of that in the context of Jesus's, all of Jesus's verily, verily statements from the King James or all of his truly, truly's in, uh, in, in the gospel of John. Um, it never struck me as having that force because it wasn't being used in this context. Right. But here, I think it's, I think it's pretty clear. Um, so what does it mean? The love of God has been perfected in in truth, by truth, through truth, right? Um, it just kind of adds this extra layer of like this. If um, if God's love is being perfected within the one who follows his word, who keeps his word, um, truth was not in you if you said the one thing and you didn't keep his commandments. But if you do keep his commandments by truth right so i in a sense you could say well what does it mean for the truth to be in you if the truth is not in you if you don't keep his commandments and you do keep his commandments you do keep his word then the truth is in you what does that look like truly the love of god has been perfected in him right i think is kind of one of the things that we seem to be able to uh to get to um okay um all right. Excellent. Okay. Very good. Um, I'm going to let you guys go. Uh, we're out of time. Um, and we got most, well, to the end of everything I wanted to talk about in chapter five, in verse five, rather. Um, the We'll do next time. We'll look at this last sentence in what I think is the, the short paragraph here, the short third paragraph. Um, by this, we know that we are in him. Uh, so we'll we'll come back to the end of five and verse six uh, next time and see how well we can do. Um, thanks, guys. This was a really wonderful uh, discussion. I really appreciate uh, all of your help today. Uh, and uh, thanks. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks, everybody. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through First John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.